What is up, group members? I'm licensed psychologist, Dr. J. I'm licensed clinical social worker, Kristen Gingrich. I'm licensed clinical psychologist, Dr. Kristen Casey. And I'm licensed clinical psychologist, Dr. Jessica Rabin. So glad you're here because we're talking about red and green. No, we're not having Christmas in January. We're talking about red and green flags when it comes to therapists. Yes, I'll be the only green flag here. There's three red flapping in the wind. But whether you're looking for a new therapist or you're questioning the one you got will help you decipher whether you got a good one for you or it's time to send one packing. So settle in, take a seat, and welcome to group therapy. Are, are, we, just gonna, are we just gonna ignore that Justin? Wait. I, Just, I'm in the middle of an intro right now. We don't excuse care. You, plus, you're, you're a teal the, flag. I am <laughs> moving the show along. Oh, my. Oh, my. I also realized I'm wearing red. I did not plan appropriately. I, I think you planned correctly. <laughs> I am a Listen, red flag. you are a nice shade of burgundy flag. Last week, we talked about setting goals. And we asked you, what is your favorite way to set a goal? And you said, my favorite trick is to make my goal ridiculous, either impossible to achieve or something I'd accomplish easily. And I aim for something in the middle of the two. Interesting Mm -hmm. strategy. Okay. Another one said, when I first started college, we were forced to read a book called On Course, and it taught us to think about what motivates us and brings us joy when making and setting goals. Hmm, What brings me joy is doing this podcast with three professional women I learn and grow from all the time. Does that make up for the red flag comment? (laughs) That was so sweet. That made me had a smidge of feeling. That's how you earn good graces. And finally, (laughs) smart goals. Or connecting my goals to my values and associating my goal will lead me closer to aligning with my values. Oh, we love that. That was really good. But but we're we're moving forward from our goals. I hope you still have your goals. Mm. And it's only right now, it's only 10 days into January. Hope you're still pursuing those goals. But let's talk about some red and green flags when it comes to therapists. How how are we tackling this question? Such a loaded question. Yeah. Because I think even before the podcast, we were talking about like shades of gray in Mm. general, black and white, Mm -hmm. shades of gray, right? So I think it is hard, but I think there are absolute red flags that we could talk Mm -hmm. about, like absolute F no's, you know, (laughs) and then there are green flags. But I think the green flags, I think there are shades because everybody wants a different therapist. Every therapist has something Mm -hmm. different to offer, right? So I think it does depend. Well, and I think even Mm -hmm. with red flags, it depends on the environment that you're working with a provider. So like I come from a world, I went from residential, working in residential, which is you're with people for eight hours, 10 hours a day in their home. So that Mm -hmm. looks those boundaries, those red flags can look very different than if I'm in kind of the field that I'm in now, which is kind of one-on-one community-based setting in an office. So like me sitting and playing video games for an hour with my client is not as acceptable in my office-based setting than it would be in the residential setting. Oh, yeah. 
I'm glad that you brought up setting because I think even in private practice, I work from home. I'm not inviting clients to my house, right? Mm -hmm. So that's awkward. That's just weird for me personally. I don't know if people do that, but. Well, and I was going to say that too, because I definitely in the past have done in-home therapy and that is the setting. So it was totally Mm -hmm. appropriate for me to go to my client's home. Now working in a hospital, it would be very inappropriate for me to show up to my client's home. Um, But yeah, I think like K10 said, there's clear red flags, you know, and we can get into examples, but ethical violations in my Mm -hmm. mind is a clear Mm -hmm. red flag. And, you know, I would say there are probably some universal green flags. You know, I would argue most people probably want a therapist that listens and validates that is also kind of the bare minimum, but the bars in the basement, Jess. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and the type of therapist that works for one person, or that person sees as green flags, might not work for another. I'm thinking back to one of the poll questions we asked, and I can't even remember what episode this was. Was talking about like, does your therapist use humor? Mm. And all the different responses of like, yes, and I love it. No, I wish they did. Yeah. And so for somebody using humor might be a really big green flag. And for somebody else, that might be a red flag because that's not what they want out of mm-hmm. therapy. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I was going to put out there of like, if we're breaking this down, red flag, green flag, what is the difference between that and preferences? Like I, I, you already threw out Jess, you know, ethical concerns that that is definitely a big difference. Like you can have different preferences, humor, you can have a therapist who drops some cool metaphors. I don't do that. My metaphors are terrible. But there's a lot of things that are preferences. Mm-hmm. But when we talk about ethical things or we talk about like what are sort of the yeah bare bones conditions that we set in a room that kind of help people grow and change, I feel like that's more of like the red flag, green flag than some – exactly. Like an example like humor where one person might like it, another person mm-hmm. – might not. Yeah, you create that yeah. basis, right? The red and green flags create the basis of the therapist. And then, mm-hmm. like you said, the preference creates the presentation and what you're looking for in a provider. So, yeah, we all right. look for a provider who, you know, respects confidentiality, listens, does all of that. We all want that in in a therapist. I think that's the difference between the red flags. It's red flags and green flags are what do we all want in a therapist Versus the preference where I may prefer a therapist who does laugh at my dark humor jokes. Mm. Um, You may want a therapist who isn't on social media. Is that Mm. an ethic? Is that a red flag or green flag? No, it's a preference. Yeah. So what, what green flags can we almost as a collective here stand behind of like, these are, the things you want to look for. I know Jess already threw out a couple. Listens, validates. Like if we break these things down, what are like, ah, we love to see it. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to not go the ethical route. I was trained but at the VA. And like I, I just I, – I feel like obviously having a license to practice, right? Like I, like <laughs> I think bare bones. Like mm-hmm. making sure your therapist mm-hmm. is licensed in the state that you live, that's up to them. Obviously, that's that's mm-hmm. on them. Um, but I do think that at least looking up your license or the potential therapist that you're looking for, their, their license and seeing if they have any ethical violations. You know, that's mm-hmm. all public knowledge. If you 
Um, and I think it's important for people to be aware of that. You know, if you are seeing a new therapist, you look them up. At least that's what I do. Um, but for me, I, I like to know at least where they were trained, you know, or they trained in um, maybe, you know, an evidence-based modality that would help me with my own stuff and stuff like that. And I think that's my, that also could be a preference, right? Because you don't need to see someone who is trained in an evidence-based modality. It just depends on what you're looking for, you know, process-oriented therapy as well. Um, I think I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I think it just depends. Um, but I, I like to know where people are trained and if they have good training, um, if they've completed like certain internships, I'm thinking of psychologists more so, um, mm -hmm. because I think it sets the bar, like KBI was saying, it like sets the bar of the foundation. Like, okay, if I know that they were trained at a certain place or they have training in a relevant area that I might struggle with, great. Then at least I know that they have the training to help me. Well, and it's making sure and they're help. just practicing within their scope. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. again, if I have struggles with substance use and I'm seeing someone who has no experience in substance use, that that's a red flag. Mm. If, mm -hmm. I, if they're mm -hmm. willingly taking me to work on that, if they have no training, if they don't have that piece, that in itself is a red flag because they're not going to be able to help me in working kind of outside of their scope of practice. Yeah, so that's to a, flip that one. to a grief flag, what I was going to say is that the individual has knowledge and expertise in the specific thing that you are seeking. Mm -hmm. Like if you are seeking therapy for borderline personality disorder, that that practitioner is trained in treating borderline personality disorder. I think that is a universal um, green flag. Um, yeah. Mm. Even to your point, Jess, I think a green flag is if a provider or a therapist voices that they don't have the expertise yes. to treat you. Like right. I turn away. I, I can't tell you how many people I actually turn away because I don't have the relevant training because mm -hmm. I feel like I have an ethical obligation to let you know that I don't have training in mm -hmm. intense substance use. Like, you know, I, I just don't. It's just not my area of expertise. I don't work with children, you know, um, mm -hmm. not because I don't like them, just because I've never had the training, honestly. Um so if someone comes to me and they're like, oh my God, my kid is struggling with this. I'm like, thank you so much. And, you know, we got to refer you to somebody else. I think sometimes that's where clients struggle sometimes to understand where they see that as rejection or I'm Ooh. like, I'm worse off. Like I have told clients, mm -hmm. I can't help you. And it's not because I don't want to help you. It's because I don't have the training, right? We go back to the eating disorder episode where I have no experience. If someone comes to me with an active eating disorder and I say, I can't help you, it's not and it's not because I don't want to. It's because ethically, I could cause more harm than good like providing that service to you. Even if I've been working with you for two or three years, right? You've been my client for two to three years. You you disclose an eating disorder and I'm not trained in that. Like, And I might have to say, hey, I no longer can work with you. I Let's look for someone else. It's hard not to feel rejection in that capacity. But if I would continue to see them, that is a red flag on my part, especially if we start looking at the eating disorder in depth, like if I start treating that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all are naming so many good ones that I'm like, yeah, that feels like a universal green flag. I don't, I don't know if it's universal, but I think in good practice, I think therapists set a course for treatment. Mm -hmm. I think sort of, I can argue on both sides. I think a sort of bad, bad therapy red flag is when therapists just kind of nonchalantly roll into therapy. You're mm -hmm. my client. Yeah, you're here. 
But I think good therapy is based on, I'm going to explain to you on a level that you can understand of what to expect, anticipate, and how we're going to work towards your goals or what you're wanting to change. Mm -hmm. But I know a lot of therapists don't do that. I know mm -hmm. a lot of therapists are just like, yeah, I got this client. They struggle with depression. Mm. Uh, yeah. How did you set yeah. a course for treatment? How did you explain almost... to them based on your expertise, the, the psychotherapy that you're going to use, how are you going to help them? I think good therapists in the beginning, they can explain that pretty easily to you and answer mm -hmm. any questions you might have. Oh, yeah. That's, that's part of informed consent. Does the person understand right. the expectations, the risks, mm -hmm. the benefits of therapy, you know, and, and is it tangible? And Justin, mm -hmm. I like how you, you said in a way that they can understand because any of us could talk about like limitations and what this might mean. But I think asking for clarification, hey, repeat back to me what we're going to work on together. You know, I just mm -hmm. want to make sure we're on the same page. I think that's so important. Well, in K10, you just hit on – that what I was going to say, like about informed consent, I think a green flag is spending time at the first session going over that informed consent, going over limits of confidentiality, answering mm. questions. Because it amazes me, like especially on social media, how many people ask, especially when I post like a lot of self-harm or suicide content, like, well, I don't want to disclose because – I don't want to be sent to the hospital. And it's like, well, that should have been part of the informed consent. You should have knowledge of like at what point you'll be hospitalized or a lot of minors asking about confidentiality. That should have been given at mm -hmm. the first session. And then mm -hmm. informed consent is ongoing. Mm -hmm. Like I had a conversation with a client yesterday. You know, I could tell that they were struggling opening up with something. And I was like, as a reminder, let me go over what the limits of confidentiality are, at what point would I do this? And I think that's a universal green flag. Maybe people might not think of it, but it's your treatment. We are here to provide a service to you. And if you are not informed of that service, that's a red flag. Oh, yeah. And let's talk about confidentiality. Yes. And, and what that topic. looks like. I mean, I mean – I can – like here in Maine, I know every state is different with their age of consent. So our age of consent here in Maine is 18. What that means is that anyone under the age of 18, their parents, if they have parental rights, can request records at any time. Mm -hmm. It does right. not matter if they request the records. We can talk to the parents and say, you know, I don't think that this is a good idea. And when I was actively practicing with like a full caseload – like that was a conversation I had with like, with my clients. I disclosed to them, your parents can access records at any time. And then I'd look at the parents and I'd say, you can access records at any time, but I can tell you, if you just access them, you will break all trust with right. your child and me. They will not trust me. They will not. And right. and I and I always live by the rule, like write your progress notes as if they'd be read aloud in a courtroom. But um, that's that's what's also hard. I also run my practice in that I only talk to parents when absolutely necessary. And usually I get the client's consent first, unless again, threat to self, threat to threat to others, that type of stuff. But in reality, I could I could have a session with a client for an hour and go and call their parents and tell them everything that I what everything that they said. And that's technically not breaking confidentiality. And that's really and that can be really hard of where that falls in the red flag. 
mm-hmm. and it depends on the state that you live in because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm licensed mm-hmm. through SIPAC. So over 25 states and I have to know every single state statute in terms of duty to warn and, and all those things because wherever the client resides is where that um, law is applicable, you know? So if a client tells me like, oh my gosh, I want to harm somebody else, right? And I'm in a state that doesn't have a tariff off duty to warn, I really can't do anything, you know, um, depending on the circumstance and all that. But most of the time you have to report that. But I think with minors, like you're saying, Kristen, I mean, it, it really depends on not only the state, but then also the location that you're in. Because mm-hmm. sometimes, um, I'll speak for psychologists, we have like almost like an ethical hang up when our, I'm thinking of the VA when I work there, because uh, sometimes our ethics code, right, for us might be, oh, this is a green flag. Like I have to report this, right? But the place that we work has a different code, right? Mm-hmm. And then we're up against, mm-hmm. we're in an ethical dilemma there, you know? And I think it's really important for clients to know that on like not only in the on, the, the onset of treatment, but ongoing. Like with clients like, hey, I'm struggling to tell you this. I don't really know. I'm like, let's revisit the limits of confidentiality. And you could decide if you want to tell me. I mean, obviously I want you to, but I also want you to be informed, you know, um, and at least know your rights. Mm-hmm. Well, and so in South Carolina, age of consent for mental health treatment is 16. And the struggle that I have faced, and I mean, when I lived in Virginia, it was 14 for mental health wow. treatment. Um, and so- 14? Mm-hmm, for mental health treatment. Yeah. Oh my God. I never knew that. Because we would have these issues with like 15-year-olds whose parent wanted to involuntarily hospitalize them, but the 15-year-old did not want to consent to hospitalization. So they had to get like a third party to make the decision. Anyways, so similar to UKBI, like when I do intakes, I I like parents involved Mm -hmm. um, if the individual is under 18, at least at the first session. Um, But if a 16 or 17 year old shows up to my office without a legal guardian, they can consent to their own treatment. And how I, you know, preface it when I go over limits of confidentiality, similar to you, especially if they're under 16, I do say, you know, you're a minor, your parent has right to access your records. Luckily, I work in a hospital system and it's like a harder process because you have to go through like rec- medical records and everything like that. Like I can't just send records. Um, but I say to the parents, how I run my practice is that I will meet with your child individually. And if there are things that I feel like you need to know because it is a safety issue, I will tell you. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, everything we discuss in here is confidential. And if you all can't agree to that, and now obviously if the teen wants their parent or guardian involved, that is absolutely fine. But I said, if you can't agree to that, then I am not the psychologist for you all. the only time it's kind of sticky, and this has rarely happened, is when I have like a 16 or 17-year-old that doesn't meet criteria for like breaking confidentiality in the sense of like harm to self or others, but maybe is engaging in risky behaviors that I do feel like parents should know about, or maybe it's severe bullying at school that I feel like the guardian should know about. But I always have a conversation with my – even if – they're 13. I have a conversation with my clients and say, hey, I think this is something that we really need to bring mom, dad, grandma, whoever in on. Do you feel comfortable with that? Do you want me to lead the discussion? Things like that so that they're in consenting. Like I tell all my clients, I will never go behind your back and call 
your legal guardian and tell them what we talked about because exactly what KBI said, um, it breaks the trust. And unfortunately, I know so many people who have had bad experiences in therapy as a minor because their therapist told their parents everything. Yeah, I was just thinking like outside y'all y'all took this episode in the direction I wasn't even thinking. <laughs> I was like, yeah, we're like we're like let's hit him with some ethics. I know. I feel like we're going through the <laughs> ethics handbook and I'm like, yo, I thought we were going to talk about like wait, me and just nerd like, out about me and just nerd out about ethics like 24/7, so you got to stop us. Which so. is so I uh, honestly yeah. I was just putting myself into a listener who's not in the mental health field. This is all informative and like educational and important. But I, like for me, I was going to throw out there, I think a good therapist and a green flag therapist is involved actively in your narrative, mm. in your chapter writing. Yep. They're hearing what you got coming up. They're invested in that. They care about it. They ask you about it. Like, for me, again, I'm more, I'm like out of ethics and more of like, if you're sitting across from somebody, you already signed up for consent. Like, how do I know if this is good therapist? I think, mm-hmm. again, good therapists are involved in you, mm-hmm. not just you talk at them, they mumble some metaphor here and there, mm-hmm. but like you feel like, oh, they remember. They remember what mm-hmm. I got going on. They asked me, how'd that job interview go? Like, to me, these are good signs of how do you know? Because we can say they listen. How do you know they're mm-hmm. listening? Mm-hmm. To me, it's like they're involved in your life in a way that you feel it. You're like, oh, they asked me about that. Oh, I like that. We call it like bridging sessions, right? Like remembering things from prior oh sessions, right? Of like, oh, okay, like let's meet from last session. You know what I mean? Because I think it's it could be easy to say, what's on your mind today? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, right. And then you kind of miss, you know, the the points of progress. I, Justin, I really like that you brought that up. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing you just said when you were talking about like sitting across the room, a green flag that we haven't mentioned that I would argue is universal, is that you feel comfortable with the therapist. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you're not going to – Oh, yeah. Like – and I tell people that all the time. If it's not a good fit, you're not going to make progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The, the caveat I would add is like – you might not feel comfortable right away, especially if you're first oh, time absolutely. in, ther- oh, yeah. first mm-hmm, time in mm-hmm, therapy. Mm-hmm. Like, I think therapy is just hard. And I know y'all. It's, it's painful it, sometimes too. I mean, you're talking, yeah. You're talking to a stranger. Like, yeah. I just met you. And I'm like going through my biopsychosocial with you. And as much as I try to normalize and all these things, I don't think early therapy is comfortable. But do yeah. I overall agree of like, should at some point you kind of move from this anxiety, discomfort, like what is this therapy thing to feeling comfortable and connected with that person? Oh, yeah. Like if it's to me, if you're like three, four, five sessions in and you still don't really feel comfortable with that person, then I'm starting to wonder. Well, and I yeah. think that's where a red flag can come in is you let's say you're working with and this is something that I go over with any client intake that I'm doing is I'll say, hey, I am a stranger. It's going to take you time to get comfortable with me. If you find that this is not working, tell me. And I always use this phrase, I am not in the business of getting my feelings hurt. You are not going to do anything that's going to hurt my feelings. So if you don't want to work with me, tell me. Now the red flag comes in is if you go and you tell your therapist, hey, we're not a match. I don't like you. I don't Mm -hmm. like your approach. Whatever that may be. If that therapist gets upset or mad or angry, Mm -hmm. that is a red flag right there. 
I tell yeah. all my clients, like, I am more than happy to help you research and find a new therapist. Like, let's go. Um, but if your therapist outright, like, refuses to either help you find another therapist, give you a recommendation, gets angry, ticked off, whatever, mm. whatever spectrum of anger it is, that right there is a red flag. If you challenge your therapist in any way that says, hey, what you said hurt me, I didn't like how you worded that, I didn't like how you said that, or if, like any pushback that you put to hold your therapist accountable, if they get upset or angry towards you, that is a red flag. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can understand them being like, oh my gosh, wasn't expecting, right? <laughs> like surprise, but to get angry and upset, I think as therapists, like we... I'll speak for psychologists again, right? Like we do role plays and all that stuff. And we've gotten our feelings hurt so much in grad school that by this time we should be pretty well versed in people saying some crazy shit to us, right? At least that's how I feel. So if somebody's yeah. saying, Kristen, I hate the fact that this is structured. Thank you so much for feeling mm -hmm. comfortable enough to tell me. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You know, my clients give me feedback all the time. They're like, you know, those session takeaways that you send me through Secure Messenger, could you just cut that shit out? I'm like, absolutely. I thought it was helpful. I guess it's not. No big deal. You know, um, but if I were to get angry, it's just because that person, the client is telling me something that I'm not ready to hear. Mm -hmm. And it's all mm -hmm. about me at that point if I get angry, right? It's really the session is for them. And I think that we have as therapists, like, we're modeling what healthy communication is supposed to look like too. So mm -hmm. every single interaction, we have to be mindful of like, how are we coming across? Like, is this going to be therapeutic? It's it's really important to do that too. Mm. Yeah, I'm thinking about- When you about, just said, oh, you go, Justin. I was just going to transition to more like, what are the obvious red flags? Like what- you we've already thrown out a number of them but what are the things that you think about where you're like that's a miss for me it is like i think about the inability to pivot defensiveness like mm -hmm. when a therapist like mm -hmm. is digging their boots in telling you something and you don't agree and you get that feeling that they're like they're not moving with you to me that's a yeah. red flag it's your mental health and it is your truth and yet I hear a lot of stories and I've seen situations where a therapist is so rigid in what they think that they don't move with the client. I think that's really bad therapy. I think you should feel like if you tell your therapist, that's not how I felt, that they should be like, oh, please, I'm sorry. Like, I assumed you'd be angry about that. How, how did you experience that? But again, mm -hmm. I think a red flag would be is if you get the feeling like your therapist is almost like working against you. Mm -hmm. Like that you, what you're saying and bringing into the room, they have another belief to things. And again, so, sometimes as therapists, yes, we have that, but it should still feel like we're moving with you. And maybe we're bringing something up that you might not notice. But if you're like, no, that's not it. Again, good therapist would be like, okay, let's, let's move together then in what you think is actually happening here. Yeah, I think there's a difference between being rigid and challenging in a really mm. therapeutic and healthy way. Like if a client is avoiding and you know they have a tendency to avoid and they've acknowledged that they avoid, right? And you're like, I think you might be avoiding, right? And if, if again, if the client feels safe enough to explore and if you feel like you have that therapeutic rapport, then great. You know, I have a lot of clients where we're at the point in our therapeutic relationship where we could laugh about these things. I'm like, you're doing it again. And they're like, I know I'm doing it, you know, and it's funny, you know, when we kind of work through. But if a client is telling me, oh, I feel this way, I'm not going to say, oh my gosh, no, you're not. That's the client's mm. truth. They're the expert on their feelings, you know? And I think it's really hard 
Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine. That's definitely a red flag. Mm. I'm just trying to picture what that might be like, you know, to tell a client like, no, that's not it. Oh my God. I'm cringing. I can't. <laughs> what, a, what about a therapist? Oh. <laughs> what about a therapist who spends most of the session talking about themselves? Stop. That's I was going to bring thinking. it up. Stop. Ew, 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 yeah. ew. And like, there's a difference, right? Pe- like periodic intentional self-disclosure. Self-disclosure isn't wrong when it's done intentionally, mm-hmm. mindfully, min- like, and minimally. But when you're right. sitting there and your therapist is going on about a 20-minute story about themselves and them- their story. Mm-mm. No. no. Yeah. No. Hard no. No. Hard. Yeah. Or, or, or their information that they're giving you is like super personal. And it's mm-hmm. like. Like they're talking about well, like super intimate details about their trauma or even just like their weekend plans, like big I red think, flag. Like you said, like it has to be intentional. Like if I if I have a client who's struggling to open up and just say they're they're bi, I'm also bi, right? And they're like, oh my gosh, I just feel like nobody gets it and stuff like that. I, I might ask, would you be comfortable if I told you my sexual orientation? And they might be like, oh my God, please. Or no, I don't feel co- – I always ask for permission. A lot of times I notice people opening up a little more when it is very, very intentional, when you notice. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I'm like, if I was in the court and I was explaining to a judge why I did this, what would my rationale be? You know, That's mm-hmm. how I feel about self-disclosure. If you're just going about on about your day and you're like, yeah, I eat cupcakes the wrong way apparently. My friends piss me off. Like they, they eat cupcakes wrong. I was going to do the chapstick thing, but I don't want to burn Justin again, but whatever. I take yeah. the bottom of the cupcake. I put it on top and I eat it like a sandwich. Yeah, and I'm you eat it like a sandwich. sandwich. It's, it's the, it doesn't get chaotic. the icing everywhere. Yeah. I don't get icing up my nose, right? And I'm just yeah. telling my client this and they're trying to talk about their trauma. No, hard no. Red flag. Red flag. Mm. Oh, yeah. And I mean, working with kids and teens, a lot of times I feel like – and granted, I very minimally have worked with adults. Like they might ask, especially like the holidays – you know, how was your Christmas? What did you do? And I know that it's a therapeutic rapport building thing. So I'll share a little bit or like I have a couple clients that I was seeing bef- like throughout my pregnancy that has continued to follow me. So like every now and then they'll like check in about my daughter. And I know that's like a therapy, but I don't make the session about like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, this is what I got for Christmas and these are my Christmas um, holidays, which I think goes into another red flag that I was going to say is very poor boundaries. And I put the word very in there because I think different clinicians have different boundaries Mm -hmm. and what clients need and setting and things like Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. You know, like some therapists have no problem texting their clients. Some it's like a hard no, things like that. But, you know, I think of things like, you know, meeting up for drinks with your client after work is like a very clear boundary violation or like – um, I don't know. People have different thoughts on like texting and things like that. I set a boundary of, you know, you can text for like appointment changes or like if you need to let me know of things we want to mm-hmm. talk in the session, but we're not texting as like friends. You're mm-hmm. not telling me about your weekend and things like that. I know some therapists do, um, but like poor boundaries in mm-hmm. those sense or even boundaries with time. Like for me, a therapist that always runs over in sessions or K-10's face is like – and not because of crises. I want to make that disclaimer. But like not respecting your time, like boundaries with – poor boundaries with things like that. I think those are all red flags, at least for me personally. It makes me anxious. Like because I'm a therapist in therapy, it makes me so anxious when I have a therapist who like 
is just clueless about time. Just say we have a 45 minute session and we're at the 60 minute. I'm like, I have another meeting. Like I got to go. Like when mm. is this going to end? You know? And I think in my mind, just how I do therapy is I'm the timekeeper yes. always five minutes before. I don't care what the fuck we're talking about. Wow. We're getting close to time. Let's wrap it up. Mm. Like I, and I tell my clients this during the intake. I'm like, I have hard boundaries when it comes to time, not only for me, but for you. Because seriously, like you might have st- other stuff to do. I want to respect your time. And I do think that it sets the precedence that it's okay to set boundaries. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay for somebody to put up a boundary and say, this is our time and that's it. Um, I had a therapist. The reason why I cringed was I had a therapist who went over all the time. And I, I just, I got so anxious because I never knew when session was going to end and it made me feel so uncomfortable. So as a therapist now, I think that's maybe why I do that. But you know, there are th- therapists out there who are less rigid and it just works for them. And if their clients are cool with that, cool. Um, but for me, I like 45 minutes and I'm like, we're out of here. See ya. See you next week. Well, and, and for myself, like I can think of like the one boundary that I have actually differs from adults and kids. My adult clients, I do not touch them. It's a handshake. We do not hug. We do not side by side hug. None of that. We do handshakes. My kids on the my kid clients on the other hand, it depends on the situation. I will be more inclined to give a hug or a side by side hug given the situation. Because I find, especially with like younger kids, we obviously like when a child will hug me out of out of con like I've had plenty of kids just come up and hug me and we talk about like we need to respect other people's bodies and asking for hugs first and and things like that. But I mean, sometimes all all a seven year old needs is a hug that maybe they're not getting from home. But also talking about um but also looking and saying, Okay, is it appropriate? Mm. In that moment, mm-hmm. um, what are those? What is what are my kids' boundaries in that? Like, if I give this, even then, I ask myself, if I give this child a hug, what message is that sending? So there, yeah, are, there about the intentionality. Yes, yeah. and and so there are times where I've given one, like one client, a hug one time, and then they've asked me another time. I said, no, not today. How about we do a fist bump? Yeah. Oh, we're getting into gray areas in the I field. I know. How aren't, weird. Aren't necessarily red or green flags. But I, to be transparent, I am that therapist that has probably, if I'm owning it, uh, two flexible boundaries with time. I've always been that way. Like I'm not to say like I'm like going like five minutes past the hour, but I'm not somebody who has a rigid therapy flow. And I, I think it has benefit and I agreed, like I'm nodding internally, everything that's said about that. And yet I don't practice that way. It works is for it, you. Yeah. Right. And I works think these you. are the things that are like interesting in the field mm-hmm. because it's like, if I'm going like five minutes over and I'm late to the next session, to me, that's like, yeah, that's bad practice. But I think overall, it's like I, I try to find ways to summarize and have more natural endings to be like, we have five minutes left. We have 10 minutes left. It's now time. And it's like, again, I think that works for people, as y'all mentioned, but I've never, and I always say I'm going to get better at it, and I never do. So I'm kind of like, maybe it's just me. Mm-hmm. But it's what it is. It's so interesting because I think a lot of people on social media and people will ask, like, my client does X. Like, what do you think about it? And with things like, initiating a handshake, a fist bump, 
Like with a lot of these things, it's like these are such gray mm. that can you say it's red or green? Like if a therapist, the first time you see a therapist, if they throw their arms open and they approach you trying to bear hug you, I think that might be a red flag. Yeah, personally. yeah I'm I running. Agree, right? like, I'm out. But there's it does get into the weeds of so many of the diff- different topics are very gray, which mm-hmm. I would mm-hmm. love to do another episode where we go to the polls and try to get mental health professionals be like, yo, what do you do? I would love to know. Oh yeah. Ooh, yeah. Right. But are there, are there, think- yeah, sorry. No, no, you go. I cut you off. I was just going to throw out, I was like, are there more like obvious, re- if people are out there, they're not in the mental health field. They're like, tell me more mm-hmm. obvious red flags. Like, you- are there any more? You have sex with your client. There's- like half I the therapists on TV. <laughs> yep. You yep. fall yeah. in love with your yeah. client. Like, like I, I don't know why. Like I, I think with red and green, it's like I think of black and white. Yeah. Right. There's mm-hmm. so much nuance in our field that I it know. is hard to kind of put I things know. in categories. But Justin, to your point, there are going to be lay people out there who don't know, right? So I think it is important. And I think when I think about red and green, when I think of red, my mind goes like ethical violation. What would my board remove my mm-hmm. license for? Mm-hmm. And it's having sex with a client. It's in Missouri. I can't barter. That's mm-hmm. literally I could yeah. I, I I just can't I can't if you want to mow my lawn I can't provide therapy in lieu of mm-hmm. a fee like it's just a right. red flag here in another state that's not a red flag right so it, it just it just depends but I do think like Justin was saying too in terms of like structure and time every therapist is going to have nuance and differences and mm-hmm. it just matters what is helpful for the client in terms of preferences mm-hmm. but in terms of red flags I just think like what's illegal what's mm. unethical. Yeah what's really bad across the board and it's having any sort of sexual intimacy with a client is an absolute no. Like hard no. Um, Has mm. anybody ever seen What About Bob? Yes. Yep. Oh, <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Like taking like taking your client on vacation with you? No. Wild. Like, so wild. I've never seen this. Wait, Oh my God, what? it's so good. It's <laughs> with the, Bill Murray. What About Bob? How have you never seen No. It's like from the I, 80s though, it's right? So, like it's yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's so old. bad. I mean- it's obviously like you know a movie, but like I also say like watch almost any therapist in any form of TV or movie, and I'm like red flag, red flag. You lose oh your license. God, red so flag, many. red flag. Yeah. Well, and I was gonna say dual relationships, but then that is even nuanced too because like when I did my training, I was in East Tennessee, and there was like very few child providers, so like there were some dual relationships. But when I think of dual relationships, I'm like, like I already used the example of not going out to drinks or with your client or not taking on a client that you have a pre-established relationship with. So like mm-hmm. me as a child therapist, like it would be inappropriate for me to take on KBI's son as mm-hmm. a client because mm-hmm. KBI and I have a relationship, which I have learned working in a hospital is not the same for all different fields. But like to me, that is a red flag. And I wanted to get y'all's opinion on this. Like, Mm. I mean, I sometimes will see siblings. It's very rare and it's on the circumstance. But I think a red flag is a clinician that will see like a husband and a wife – yeah, like oh for individual oh therapy, like no, separate or like other types stop of it. like mm-hmm. where you yeah. can't be objective. No, I and I can't you, believe people do oh, that, and people God. do. No, people, I know people who do that, but I have fair, close I, colleagues who do, and technically, yeah. it's not illegal. Is it unethical? I don't know. 
Yeah, uh, but can I be objective? Absolutely no. not. I know. If a wife tells me something and then I have a, a session with the husband the next session and she cheated on him and he's like, I can't wait to spend the rest of my life with this person, Ugh. I can't be objective. Yeah. You kidding me? Yeah. I'm going to be like, fuck, I feel so bad. <laughs> like, there's no way. Yeah. I think the one I, – I, I also see siblings and I think that's my limit. Like, I've been asked, are different. Like, will you see yeah. my husband? I'm like, hell no. I've also <laughs> had, like, the parent be like, will you see my kid? And that to me is also like, no thanks. Yep. Like, mm-hmm. no. But something about siblings for me, that's the one I'm like okay with. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it, it could depend on the family. Maybe well, something for me, the it's, it's dependent on the family. Well, and yeah. so where I work in Maine, I work in the middle of nowhere, wait, Maine. It's rural Maine. And True. so that adds a different aspect of True. like when I when I was doing this full time and all my teen clients went to the same high school. Yeah. Like they do? all know each That's other. That's the tough part. And then yeah. some of them found area. out that they both saw me. Like, so there is that I always say there is this balance where we have to look through it as well like when we're li- when we're living and working maybe in small towns where sometimes it is unavoidable but we avoid mm-hmm. the big things like uh like my staff would never see a husband and a wife they would never see a parent mm-hmm. and a child they might see siblings they might see um i'm trying to think of like anything like i ended up seeing Cousins. at one point where yeah. mm-hmm. where one was the adult cousin one was a younger cousin but they never really saw each other and, like, their yeah. treatment was so different that I said – and, like, I got supervision around it and we kind of came to the agreement that it was okay to continue. But there was also a disclosure to them that there was a con- – what we call conflict of interest. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. And, again, when you work in small – like, small towns, like, we had we had staff who all – like, some of her clients were kids in her kids' classroom. Mm. But then it's we tough. had the discussion of the boundaries and what that would look like. Um and some of it's unavoidable because in Kansas City, mm-hmm. I see so many of my clients out in the real world, but I think it's how you handle it, right? So a red flag yeah. for me, like if I'm thinking of therapist red flag, green flag, it's if you see your client out, you're not going to be like, invite them over to your dinner table. That's a red flag, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, if you see them, I always tell people, oh, this is somebody I used to work with. Mm-hmm. If we're around people, and I always tell my clients that too, when I see you out, sounds like you were a past colleague, so nobody knows our relationship. If for some reason we're out and we see each other. You know, mm-hmm. I have a lot of clients who work in the service industry. And if I'm at a restaurant and they're my waiter, what am I supposed to do? Right? I could move tables. Is that awkward for the people I'm with? How do I explain that? Right? So I think it's just minimizing the risk when you're there. So a red flag would be just allowing whatever to happen, mm-hmm. you know, and being like, this is my client. That's obviously not okay <laughs> to say out loud. Because um, that's a HIPAA violation. So I guess that's super, another red flag. Super, Somebody super that violates violation. HIPAA. Oh. <laughs> It's, yeah. it's so funny because even how we interpreted the title of this episode, like I, I, I was thinking red flags were more of like, what do we think is going to lead to like almost unproductive therapy? But I agree. Ooh. Being unethical is of course going to be that. But I was more thinking of like, if you notice your therapist is burnt out, exhausted, mm-hmm. chronically yeah. tired. Yeah. Like for me, I'm thinking of the things, what can I stand yeah. behind? of like, if you see this, it might not be unethical, but do I think it's a red flag that you should switch therapists? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Therapists in systems, sadly, are often overworked, overwhelmed. And so it could be a product of that system. But I also know in private practice, a lot of people take on way too many clients. And if you get the feeling like my therapist like doesn't feel present, they seem burned out. They seem yeah. exhausted. 
I yeah. think that's a red flag. They're I think you should find phone. a therapist who has energy. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're checking the phone during session. They're taking calls. Oh my God. Is that unethical? Maybe, but it's a red flag. Yeah. It is Mm -hmm. a red flag. Well, Justin, to your, okay, let's go with what Justin said because I like, I like where this is going. But like, one of the things that I was thinking of was, oh my God, I lost my chance out, of course. Oh, a a therapist who doesn't acknowledge like your culture. If you Mm. acknowledge, hey, this is a big deal for me, like my religion, my culture, or my color, my ethnicity, my race. Like, and if I were to sit across from a client, I'm white, right? If I were to sit across from a client, who says, hey, I'm a black individual and I'm in this world and I feel A, B, and C and I want this part of my therapy. If I said, yeah, I don't know if I could do that and I still see that client, red flag. Absolutely red flag. Red flag. Mm-hmm. Like I, If that client is saying, a lot of clients who are different than me, I will acknowledge that first session. We are two completely different people from two completely different cultures and you have to feel safe with me. And I intend for this to be a safe space. If you don't feel safe, that's not up to me to determine. You could ghost me. I always give them an exit strategy. You could ghost me. You could tell me kindly that you don't want to see me anymore, or I could give you a referral, whatever you want. But I always give people an out because I think it's so important if they voice, especially if they voice, hey, this religion is a big part of my life, and just say, I don't know anything about that, I will never see that client. Or I have to incorporate that into the treatment plan. Mm -hmm. So I think being seen and heard and obviously validated and um, perceived for your culture, race, ethnicity, all that is very important too. Mm -hmm. So that would be- Totally. I guess a red or a green flag, depending on how the therapist handles it. Well, and going off of that, I think a big red flag is a therapist that imposes their own values and views oh, on you. Totally. Is it unethical? Yes. No, there's nothing in our ethics code that says like, you know, I can't talk about my religious beliefs in therapy and try mm-hmm. to like convert. A, but like, that's not going to be productive therapy. And I know we've you know, we talked about politics and mental health and all of us agreed that like therapy is political. Mm -hmm. And also that does not give us the right to sit across a client that has different views than Mm -hmm. us and try to change their Mm -hmm. views. And if a therapist, if you're listening, like tries to impose their values more, that's not therapy. And that is not our goal. And it's really important for a therapist to acknowledge their lack of objectivity. If they're like, mm-hmm. hey, I cannot be objective. Like this person has such different views and it's in, like for the therapist, like I can't. It sounds like you're taking an L, but it's you're going to do more harm if you can't mm-hmm. be objective, you know. Um, another red flag. Not productive therapy, I guess. A therapist who doesn't use your name or your pronouns. <gasps> hey, yep. Oh. Here we are. Right? Yeah. Or supports uh, things like conversion therapy or other treatments that have been shown to be harmful is a red flag for me. Okay. Right. I want to throw Like my where there is yeah. like strong evidence that it is yeah. harmful. Right. Even like my clients never really request their records, but I always ask like, what are your pronouns? Not preferred pronouns. What are they? Oh, That's yeah. it. Yeah. How, how am I referring to in my notes? That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I, and this is one I, I did, it kind of is related to the other things we've said, but I really think it should be your time. And I know mm-hmm. we've said like mm-hmm. therapist disclosure, but like, if you, I'm always interested in this. I've asked this a few times on my own personal Instagram of like, do you talk more than your therapist? Does your therapist talk more than you? Is it kind of even? I just have a hard time believing you're going to get the most out of therapy if you're being talked to, like oh, yeah. if you're being lectured at, mm-hmm. like 
listen, I've had very anxious clients before where it can feel really intimidating and I, I feel like I talk a lot, but I just, for the way I see psychotherapy and maybe this is more preference, maybe I'm straying from the question. I think therapists who take the microphone and fill sessions talking, I don't believe that's how a client gets the most from a session. Mm. It has a time and a place, mm -hmm. but in mm -hmm. the long run, like I don't know that that's the best psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think if you're asking the client questions and they're, they're anti, like they might need a little bit of assistance. Mm -hmm. sure. Great. Great. But if you're talking about your own shit or you're talking at them yeah. or you're assuming, I mean, I, I can understand like suggesting or recommending or, right. you know, guessing walking through maybe how they feel and teach them walking, sure. walking through. Yeah. And, and them saying, actually, no, I feel this way. Great. Oh my gosh. What feels right for you? Like I, I can understand like there's different techniques, but to Justin's point, yeah, if you're talking more, how the hell is the client going to feel like it's their time then? How? Like, well, and how do you know, like, for example, I can use this as an example of I was teaching one of my clients about the tip skill and the temperature and no. the vagus nerve and the parasympathetic nervous system. So I spent a lot of time talking because I was educating the, the science behind it. But what I was asking was in those moments, I'm like, why do you think this might be helpful to get them to engage in that conversation. So like literally wasn't me lecturing, but it also be gauged if I was making sense to them and mm -hmm. saying like, I would stop like, do you have any questions about this so far? Like what's mm -hmm. making sense? What's not making sense to help create that conversation? Because yeah, when we sometimes teach skills, it can be, you know, a 15 minute lecture about again, the mm -hmm. vagus sure. nerve and all of that. But if you include your client in there, that again, it helps create that conversation of them feeling included. There's a way to do it. Yeah. It, with CBTI, like, because they do a lot of insomnia treatment, it's so much psychoeducation. And it's like, sure. I just like to hear the client talk. I'd rather not talk. I'd rather literally hear their client. But like, they're so structured to a certain point that it's like, in the beginning, the first three sessions, I'm like, listen, first three sessions are going to look a little different. And then the, the next three are going to look completely different because it's going to be more of you telling me what's going on. But in the beginning, it's like, how do you talk about like a structured bedtime and time window? And like it to your point, KBI, I think, um, and just to provide psychoeducation, you are talking a little more, but I think mm. including the client in on it, like, mm -hmm. what do you know about the vagus nerve? What do you know about this? Like, yeah. so you actually could, you, you're, you're talking less if you know exactly where their foundational knowledge is, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's part of it. But if you're just talking at them, like, what is deep breathing? They're going to be like snooze fast. I've heard this before. Maybe. I don't know. But I would also I would be snoozing. Yeah. But I would also say there is also the opposite end too for a therapist who who rarely speaks and does right. not give insight and yeah. lets a client and like there's nothing wrong like I have definitely had sessions where I probably maybe have said 20 words the entire session because it was so much there was so much coming. But if that's happening every single time and your yeah. therapist is not helping you see insight, not asking questions, not helping maybe put puzzle pieces together, that to me is also a red flag. If I'm just coming there mm -hmm. and I'm just like dumping this all and leaving and it's like a vent session. Yeah. What am I getting out of that? Other right. than that like, wow, I put that out there. Right. That feels like blank slate where it's like, did I talk to a wall? And, and yeah, on the other end, it's like, how can you see through the cultural and experiential lens of the client if you're always talking into the microphone? Mm -hmm. 
which drives me nuts with therapist yeah, dominate sessions. I'm like, I get psychoed, totally get that time mm-hmm. and place. But otherwise, I'm like, how do you know the client's experience when you're just talking and assuming and not asking no. questions? Which again, mm-hmm. young therapists can be guilty of that some of like they fill sessions with that anxiety instead of being like, let's let's give the client room, ask some open-ended questions here. But I agree too, not being in the room, not being a person, not giving feedback. It's like, you might as well just talk to a wall. Yeah. Yeah. And well, if clients want that, I'm not the therapist for you because fuck, that's just, to me, it's just not productive. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'll tell my clients like, hey, I'm going to interrupt you quite a bit if we're having a monologue. I want you to be able to tell me what's going on, but if it's a monologue for like over 10 minutes, I mean, come on, it's supposed to be back and forth. And I, you know, consent is a big part of it because every therapist is so different. There are therapists out there who are like, I'm just going to let the client talk. In my mind, that's lazy therapy. I hate saying it out loud and I hate being black and white because I'm not a black and white person. But if you're just going to let a client talk and then you're going to provide no value, how are you challenging them? How are you thinking about their core beliefs? How are you, I don't know, I just, I think too deep into it, but. Yeah, Justin, whatever you said, I agree with is basically what I'm trying to say. This is the first time for everything. (laughs) Well, and Justin, you were talking when you brought that up about how it is the client's session. And this also might be a preference, but I think another, I guess it could be a green flag one way, a red flag another way. But a green flag is the therapist letting you guide the session. So like you are guiding what you want to talk about and what you want to work on versus a therapist saying, okay, at our intake, you said we're, you want to work on X, Y, and Z. We're going to do this and, and not because life happens. You know, mm. you might be treating somebody for anxiety, but then they had a really big loss or trauma and that's what we need to pivot um, and talk about. And, you know, I know, and I remember me being you know, a young therapist and CBT manual, and we're just going to go through that. And that is not, I mean, some people might like that, but I think a green flag is a therapist that allows you to guide the session, talk about what you want to talk about, prioritize and work on what you want to work on. And a red Mm -hmm. flag would be being like, nope, we, we have to address this. And you're like, actually, I want to work on this. Yeah. And as a therapist, being able to take that feedback. So there are plenty of times mm-hmm. where I have told clients, so this is what I'm seeing. And I'm mm-hmm. like putting those pieces because mm-hmm. they're maybe not seeing it. But I always say like, do you want to do you want to dive into that a little bit? And if they say no, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'll write it down and I'll say, OK, that's fine. Totally. Yeah. That's yeah. what I do. I'll like check in and be like, so last week we talked about this, this. You haven't brought up this in a while. Where do you want to? Mm-hmm. start or where do you want to you know continue um yeah because sometimes also like people especially i think of if you're doing like trauma work some weeks maybe you just don't want to dive in about your trauma and if your therapist is like well last week we left off at this and now mm-hmm. we have to continue mm-hmm. and you're like i am not in the space to do that that can be really harmful yeah, yeah. Yeah. When the, and to me, that's like checking the pulse, right, of the client and checking the weather of the client and seeing like where they're at. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, if you're just forcing an agenda, at what cost? You could be burning out the client. You could be missing big things. Of course, since I work with teens, like we'll be talking about one thing one week. I come back and they're they're in a breakup. 
you know, or they're we're on a completely like, different. Like it just goes. You're like, oh wait, what? You're in a oh, whole new relationship. Wait, whole what? New, whole new thing going on here. But that's what's most important to them that day. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to model, you know, healthy emotional expression or coming alongside or healthy coping, whatever it might be, you got to go where they are mm-hmm. and not assume. Well, most important thing is we're on step two of this <laughs> structured type of therapy, which again has its time and place. Mm-hmm. How about we – should we go somewhere? Where are we going to go? Where do you want to go? I'm ready to, I think like Cabo. Somewhere. <laughs> I want to go to the pool. Oh, is the poles at least warm and sunny and the sun doesn't set at 4.30? No. I mean the poles are not in Maine. Yeah. The, <laughs> well, technically they are because I'm doing the poles this week. Oh, so Maine's technically kind of they are. So then it's not warm and sunny. It's cold it's so and dark. dark outside right now. It was 25 degrees. Bring us some light with some data. And with do some... you say data or data? I need to know this. Data. It's only data. I don't know. It's only data. I feel like I can interchange. I'm collecting data. You're, you're a mix and match. I think I'm a mix and match. I... So let me point over here. Do you say database or database? Database. database. See, I say oh, database, you're... but I say I collect data. You I'm collecting data. Of... Here's the data over here. This is the. Whoa! Why do I say database? Database! <laughs> you guys are so crazy! You got. Oh, no. This I can't think, be real. I think I interchange it because, like, I'm trying to think. Like, I, I really do think I interchange it. Wow. Just, just blew my mind. I thought if, I was if I'm gathering, right, I'm gathering data, but I put it in a database. I yeah, said why? database. Oh I'm going to need to process this later. I'm, We're going to overthink it. So, <laughs> Let's you ready the for the polls? Please. Okay, yes. so this week, so the first poll that we have is, do you know what some red flags look to look for in therapists? Well, hopefully after this whole segment, you might know some now. So the answers were, yes, I do, and no, I don't. Do I would say 82% say yes. 60% said yes. 71% said yes. Oh my God, tell us. K10 wins. <gasps> Finally! It's 64%. Yay! Wow. Nice. 64%. And 36% never really said, no, anything. I don't. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. Wow. Hopefully after this episode, that 36% goes down. That's right. Have you ever experienced a red flag with a therapist? Either yes, I have, no, I haven't, or I'm not sure if I have. I think I'm not sure if I have might be. Ooh, I don't know, actually. I don't want it to be high, but yeah. I think people are going to say yes. They're going to be kind of liberal with the red flags. We discussed a a very a lot here. Mm -hmm. It won't just be ethical. I'm going to say 40% say yes, they have. Mm -hmm. I'll say 38% say yes. 50. 50% says yes. So 53%. Guys, I'm winning this episode. cheating. No, no, I seriously did. I promise. I swear to God. I promise I did not. Okay. It's because we're in an Elon Musk simulation. That's why. I. It's true. Oh, my God. I have so many thoughts. I'm not going to say I'm here. Go ahead. 21% said, no, I haven't. And 26 said, I'm not sure if I have. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Here's Here's one. If you experienced a red flag, did you bring it up with your therapist? 
either yes, I did, or no, I didn't. No, no I didn't is really high. I say no. 70% no. No. Yeah, I'm going with Jess. No. I'm going 70. 79% said no, I didn't. Justin won. Wow. And I was over. Not a 21% and 21% said yes, I did. I would be interested to know why people didn't bring it up with their therapist. Power differential. Yeah. And I think, oh my I, God. Yeah. I, and I yeah. hear y'all say it too in your content of like, remember, it's your mental health. But I that power mm-hmm. differential feels heavy when you're in the room. Well, and especially if you're oh, a kid yeah. and you're working with an adult. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I also wonder too, is because I see this online a lot about like people think things are ethical violations that they aren't, or people don't know what is right normal. Oh, yeah. I put that in quotes or not. So is it like, ooh, this seemed red flaggy, but I don't know if it's actually something I need to bring up with my therapist. Mm-hmm. Is it a preference mm-hmm. or is it a red flag? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what I was just thinking. Like too, like after people are listening to this episode, are there red flags they're realizing are preferences? Interesting. Yeah. Even as a trainee psychologist, I thought things were red flags that actually weren't mm-hmm. because I just didn't have the training mm-hmm. or the wherewithal to know at the time, right? So, mm-hmm. you you know, if you don't know, you don't know. Exactly. Really. So the next one is, do you know what some green flags are to look for in a therapist? Either yes, I do or no, I don't. I'd say 90% said yes, I do. 82% say yes, I do. Ruby, you can't I don't know. Take a guess. 60. 60. 60. 77% said, yes, I do. Wow. And 23% said, no, I don't. Okay. So that's actually kind of similar to the numbers from Red Flags, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Interesting. (laughs) So the last poll says, what do you consider to be the biggest green flag for a therapist? So someone said, they. It, this may seem bare minimum, but attentive body language, including eye contact. Someone said, willingness to learn and grow, not feeling like they know everything or be right about everything. I love that. Having flexibility in treatment or their approach. Listens to the client when they say something that, it, that saying something that isn't helpful. Mm. They feel safe with them. Having patience with them. Mm. Let's go. That's a big one. Fuck yes. So yeah, those are some great responses. Those are, uh, yeah, those are. Really I love them. Mm-hmm. So and I feel like some of those we didn't even explicitly touch on. Yeah, so that's great. These listeners. That's know. really good. They know. They know. Group the members. So what questions do we have this week? We have so many good listener questions. This is. Oh my god! Justin and his like twelve octave squeal. It's just like, I don't blame him because the listener questions are my fucking favorite. They really um, are. They're always so good. I know. I, I just I just love what people have to say. Okay, let's go to the listener questions. So as always, every week we ask you, our group listeners, submit some questions about our topics for the week. And just as a reminder, we would love to take every single question that you have, but we don't have time for every one of them. And if any question has a lot of personal information, we usually just make it a little concise just for your privacy. So um, the first one, just, just um, is from Jen from Ohio. Justin oh, actually put. Why do we Justin always, every put, time? 
Justin put fuck yeah next to it. So that's what tripped me up. <laughs> Jen. Let's okay. Go. So Jen asks, have any of you had to report another therapist for an ethical violation or a red flag? Jen, great question. Great question. Yes. <laughs> I, um, Jess, I wanted to ask you, but I didn't want to put you on the spot. No. And I want to clarify, like, not just like not a red flag unless the red flag was an ethical violation. Like we can't report just like red flags. Like if, you know, Mm -hmm. a therapist was answering phone calls in session, like that is not something reportable. But yes, I have reported um, not very frequently. It's only been, I think, two people ever for um, an ethical violation. And per psychologist protocol, you have to bring up the ethical violation with them informally first. And if it does not get resolved, then you take it to the board. And so after going through the informal resolution and there was no resolution, um, I have. And unfortunately, boards take 12,000 years to get back to you Mm. on if they do anything. (laughs) Has anybody else? Mm-mm. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the general public would be surprised that like a lot, the vast, vast, vast majority of situations get handled at that informal level mm-hmm. With, mm-hmm. within mm-hmm. systems, within supervision, yeah. within conversations with the supervisor, whatever. It's a little more complicated in the wild, wild west of private practice because a lot of people are yeah. out there just literally on their own. Willy nilly. Willy nilly. Yeah. But having worked in systems before, a lot of things get corrected kind of internally and you move forward Mm -hmm. with an action plan. Rarely, again, there has to be such substantial harm that you Mm -hmm. would skip informal resolution, which Mm -hmm. I haven't seen that in, you know, the systems I've been in. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't reported anybody, but as like my full-time job, I am a program supervisor. So I am responsible for staff and their, Mm -hmm. like their license is my license in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of, I wouldn't say I've had to report anything like ethically to the board. Um, Most of my stuff is handled internally and ends up Mm -hmm. being like a performance plan or an incident Mm -hmm. report, Mm -hmm. um, those type of things and saying like, this is not acceptable in this place of employment or under my supervision, this is not, this is not acceptable behavior. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Justin, to your point, I think, and I think a lot of people who are listeners who are not in the mental health field, which I hope this reaches them is, is that I think with every field, there are nuance. For example, I'm not an attorney, right? I don't know what violations attorneys would deal with, right? Because I'm just not one. So I think to a lay person in my mind, an attorney could do something that maybe I don't like that might seem like a violation, but mm. it might not be, right? Mm. So I think it's always important to do your d- due diligence and, and research, of course. But yeah, a lot of it is handled at like the the individual level, if I could think about it. Um, and to be honest, I, I've, I've talked to some people who I thought they were doing kind of things that were sus. And then the more that we talked, the more they were like, oh, wow, yeah, maybe I should redo this or Hey, you don't have enough information to know. So it it does get kind of handled in that way, I think. Um, okay, well, next to, one. Oh, good. Just, I was going to just say to Justin's point, like in the two instances I have reported, going back to the harm, and it was like repeated behavior yeah. over and oh, over and over again yeah. that uh-huh. was not handled at the informal 
level and if harm is being done to clients. I mean, it is our ethical duty as mental health professionals to call Mm -hmm. out harm when we see it. But yeah, especially in systems, you know, things get handled. Um, And to K-10's point, like a lot of things that people think are ethical violations, like it is actually from unless – you have evidence of sleeping with a client it is very hard to get your license taken away is yeah. what I've pretty much gathered. Mm. Yeah. Um, what I always suggest to people too is whatever state you live in, if you want to look at that state, go on the board of behavioral examiners website and mm-hmm. every uh, board meeting is public technically um, depending yeah. on the circumstance and you could see the eth- actual ethical violations. And I think it gives people a really good idea of what's actually violation versus something else. And not everything, even if it goes to the board, it might not actually be something that, you know, the other person or the the person in question would actually be notified of if it's not mm-hmm. an actual violation, you know. So um, a lot of it is like sleeping with clients or like not keeping notes. I saw that. This, there was this one psychologist who didn't keep notes for like 20 years. I was like, how? You know, how? What? How? How? I swear. I swear. I, I, I I've seen you. things. Yeah of like posting clients information on social media or like taking like Snapchats or pictures and posting that. So like clear HIPAA oh violations. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. The basics. The, yeah. The things that you would think not to. I don't know. Yeah. Do. It's, it's wild. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Okay. Shauna from Staten Island, New York. That's where I grew up. Let's hey. go. Duncan Hills, baby. She'll know where that is. Um, So Shauna said, now that I've been officially diagnosed with ADHD, I'm considering looking for a new therapist. What are some green flags that I should be looking for with this diagnosis in mind? I'm not necessarily looking for someone that treats ADHD, but I know it affects other things and I want to make sure that I take it into account when I'm looking for someone new. KPI, what do you think? I would say I think it is important to look for someone who has experience working with ADHD because, again, like as a person with ADHD, having someone be able to think outside of the box for maybe some approaches, like I know I talk about all my quirks of how I hack my ADHD now to make my life better, like to make my life more functioning. Like you might want a therapist who can think outside of the box in that Versus just saying like, well, just fold your clothes. And I don't know of any any therapist who would specifically say that. But like who gets creative um, in that and and has that education about how your brain works differently. Yeah, I think that's... Anybody else? Okay. Let's move on. Allison from North Carolina. Maybe she's uh, neighbors with Jess. No, Jess is South Carolina. Am I fucking this up? Am just I fucking this Jess's up? Just exact address in North no, Carolina. No, no, I am South Carolina. I mean, they're oh, next I to each other. <laughs> no. That's what I thought. Fuck. God damn it. I should no, know No, they're now. next to each other. I mean, they whoa. are north and south of each other. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, okay. I got my master's okay. in North Carolina. I mean, I, mean, I know exactly. Wh- I, I know Jess's address. If someone sends me, Let's if someone Venmo's me $10, I'll no, give it to you. No, do not. Do not. Then mow me Jess, $10 and I'll dog the shit off. out of her. Just kidding. Okay, cut that out. If Jess, if like it's not public knowledge that you live in the Carolinas. I. Oh, no, it is. I post about it all the okay. time. It's fine. Okay, cool. Allison from North Carolina, north of Jess, she said, 
what if I'm confused by not being able to find a new therapist I'm comfortable with and I don't even know what to think? Maybe, like, maybe the problem is me and not them. So it sounds like Allison is really trying to figure out how do I find a therapist that works for me? Yo, I read that. I think that related back to what we talked about a little bit earlier. It's, it's nice to do a little self-reflection to be like, are there specific things I'm looking for? Mm. Because I, I think therapy might just be a setting for a lot of people that you just go into in just trying to be transparent, authentic, talk about things you've never talked to with anyone before. I think it's going to be uncomfortable. So when, and people, my followers have mentioned this to me before, when people are like, I just keep jumping from therapist to therapist. Yeah, I think it's a decent reflection to be like, okay, do you have an idea of what specifically you're looking for or what specifically you experienced that you didn't like? Because mm-hmm. if there aren't specifics and you just generally feel uncomfortable, I I think it could be. It could be that psychotherapy for you is just hard and it's just a hard process. Does it mean that you shouldn't do psychotherapy? No, I, I think you could warm up to it, but you might have to accept it's less about the person and more about the nature of this mm-hmm. is difficult for me. Maybe it's based on your history, your trauma, your family, your culture, other variables. I like that. One thing I suggest to like clients or people, especially that I meet in the hospital, that I might be the first mental health professional that they've ever encountered and you know, they're, they express interest in therapy, kind of like you were saying, that self-reflection. But if they're like, I really don't know what I want, I ask them like, think of a person or people in your life that you feel safe with, that you can open up to. What yeah. qualities about them make you feel that way? Are they attentive Mm. listeners? Do they like, I don't know, the body language, things like that. They are non-judgmental and then go off of that. And I think I want to highlight something you said earlier, Justin, that therapy is awkward and difficult at the beginning anyways. And so like what are your expectations of therapy? And is it that initial like discomfort kind of scares you from building that relationship? Okay. Taylor from Colorado. Hey, hey, I'll be there in two weeks. I love Colorado. Oh my gosh. Must be nice. Yeah, I know. My cousin actually just moved there and I've been trying to reconnect with her more. And she's like, oh, I'll come to Missouri. I'm like, no, I'm coming to you, baby. Hey, We're going to go. Yeah. Go. Yeah. yeah. Missouri's cool, but like we just got barbecue and that's about it. Um, okay. Ooh. Taylor. Have you known therapists who you genuinely genuinely believe should not be therapists? And if so, what made you feel this way? Yeah. Taylor's that is such a loaded question, I know, Taylor. That was so good. I know plenty. <laughs> I know plenty. Well, I'm sure a lot of them KBI. have like the red flag. Yeah, KBI, I can tell. Oh, God. I'm putting her on the spot. Well, She's uncomfortable. One, one is on this podcast. What? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Who? I want, I want the group members to vote. Who which is. where? Stop which it. Which one of us should not which be one of, Which one of us should not be practicing? Me. Me. I'm the problem. No, I mean, I think a lot of oh times, God, again, me. it's not because of ethical violations. Most of the yeah. time, my, pre- my, my, my beliefs are based off of my preferences. And it's not mm-hmm. even like my preference is based off, oh, you don't use humor, like you shouldn't practice. It's more like mm-hmm. I, I just I don't want to out because if anybody's listening, like I mm-hmm. 
it's more like again how they hold themselves or the values mm. again what they're bringing into session um mm. therapists who are trying to indoctrinate their clients um oh my god stop like no there are therapists i know in my personal life that i'm like i don't know how you're still doing this um I'm in. A, I took a supervisor. I'm. I'm a clinically trained supervisor. I have a CCS license, and one of the things that we talked about in that is like sometimes we coach our we coach our staff out of the field because they are not appropriate for the field. And like, mm-hmm. I've had I've had to be a part of something like that where I've had we've had to coach a a very new staff member out of the field because we were like, this is not for you. Like you are like, it's kind of like they came into the field. Like, obviously we all come in the field. We have our own shit. A lot of us come into it because of that, but it was like, they were using this field to heal themselves. And that was, and that was like, yeah, it wasn't an ethical violation. Yeah. But it was very fucking therapy. Sorry. But it was very clear that there were those underlying motives. And so, um, I will definitely share more. Like, there's definitely a lot more, but I can't share yeah. super details because if the people are listening. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. But no, like 100%. I've definitely been like, what? I think it, like I'll, the only relevant experience I have is being a clinical psychologist and our our training is so rigorous, you know? So on internship, I've known, not in my own internship program, thank, thank God, um, but I've known of people who actually were excused from internship and said, you can't continue because you're not making the competencies. And I think that's their way of saying like, hey, we can't actually allow you to continue because Mm -hmm. we don't approve of what you're doing. And a lot of it was like the people who you're saying KPI of like, they're using therapy as a way to heal themselves, which I think we all get into the field for various reasons Mm -hmm. and why that's the reason why I'm in therapy too, is to make sure I'm handling my own stuff, right? Like and all that. But there are people out there who just – they just don't have the intentions in mind that we would hope that they do. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really hard. Um, but that's tough. Yeah. Any, anybody else? Yeah. I, I, <laughs> this is such a touchy question. <laughs> I can keep going. Like, Let's keep hard, going. <laughs> it's hard not outing people. Yeah. I think that's yeah, the no. hard thing. Yeah. I think for me though, the way I can say it is – being able to listen and absorb someone else's truth, not everyone can do. Mm-hmm. I think everyone mm-hmm. listening out there thinks they can. I think a lot of people yeah. think they can. But when you really have to sit and hear someone absorb their truth and echo it back through being a supervisor, watching a lot of people do therapy, no. Some no. people aren't hearing the truth the client is speaking. Mm-hmm. And it be it makes being a therapist very hard. But again, yeah. everyone thinks they're a great listener or a lot of people think yeah. they're a great listener. No, there's a big range of your ability to hear, communicate and connect with others. Yeah. And my bias is to be a therapist, you got to be pretty damn good at it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people will say, "Oh, you like talking. You're a therapist." I'm like, "Actually, no, I don't. I actually love listening. I yeah. love love hearing people's internal experiences, you know?" And I think the caveat to that is 
you know, if you're a human in this world, you also want to be heard and listened to, obviously, right? And seen and perceived and, you know, validated. And that's not for therapists in their therapy with clients. That's for therapists in their own therapy mm-hmm. as therapists. Like, it's just, it's not the time and place. Like, you have to, yeah, I'm with you. Okay, we're moving All on. I will add. Go ahead, go ahead. Is, because yes, I definitely know people that I don't think and without specifics like another thing is like disengagement like Mm. therapists that just seem not engaged in the Mm. session bored (laughs) distracted by other things Mm -hmm. and it's like why did like and and yes there are absolutely times like I am just tired exhausted probably not as present as I would like to be but when over and over again the therapist just is not engaged or like on their phone or doing other things like Can't and unfortunately i have no people like this mm-hmm. um yeah it's like you could be Once doing again, something else not and get paid so much more like not an ethical violation to be disengaged yeah. and it's not going to benefit the client yeah i love that Jess. okay that was a really good question. I can't wait Taylor. for the off-camera talk after after the after we hit stop record. <laughs> we I need receipts and tea. Okay, anyways, <laughs> Alex from Scotland. Scotland. Um, Scotland. Okay. Um, <laughs> I lived. In Scotland. Uh, I've always Did been. You all know that. Yes. Wait. Say that it again. What? I lived in Scotland. Um, you know that makes you a better human. I think. You know, for sure. So even though you got my state like, wrong, top, I did top live in Scotland. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's There's okay. going to be a Jess you quiz at the end of this. I've actually sent just my book too, and I have I have your address in my Amazon. You know how like it saves all the addresses. I literally have your address too. It's like really bad. I'm really sorry. It's fine. Um, I'll nice make up for in it. Your book. I like that subtle. Mm. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Shameless promotion. Anyways. Alex, um, I've always been under the impression that therapists should never hug or touch clients as it crosses boundaries, but I've seen stories where a whole therapy session is a therapist cuddling an adult client. To me, it sounds like a massive red flag. Alex also goes on to say, thanks thanks for your work, guys. Love listening. And Dr. Day can put on his chapstick however he likes no. as long as it is in private. Oh. As long Ooh. as it's in private. Oh, came in at the end with a cut. Alex. Alex. Girl. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Anyways. Um, I, I agree. Does anybody want to talk about cuddle therapy? <laughs> I mean, c- <laughs> there are people that are paid to cuddle people. But they're not licensed but therapists like, not in the sense that we mental do. Mental health therapy. Yeah. And and I know – like I'd be interested to know like these cuddle therapists, are they like licensed mental health providers? They're licensed Doubt cuddlers. <laughs> or are they licensed cuddlers? That sounds so cute. But yeah, they're definitely not <laughs> mental health profe- – I mean they might be mental health professionals, right? But they're not using their license in a way that mm. we would, Yeah, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, even if they are duly licensed maybe. I don't know. A duly licensed therapist and cuddler. Cuddler? <laughs> cuddler. But, but to go to Alex's um, impression that therapists should never hug or touch clients, and I know KBI, you touched on this. Like, I work with kids and teens, and there are some 
of my clients that I know will ask me for a hug or mm. prefer like if they're upset, me sitting next to them, maybe putting their hand mm. on their shoulder. But it is a conversation and a consent process. There are other oh, yeah. clients that I would not hug or touch. So it is very individualized. And I know KBI, you said you don't, you know, hug your adult clients. I don't work with adults or I have some young adults, but um, so that's probably a different boundary, but especially for kids, like, and when I worked with a lot younger kids, like little kids might come and sit in your lap and things like that. And that's just like, if you're working with three, four, five-year-olds, like how they interact. Um, and I think just setting clear boundaries. So mm-hmm. physical touch is not, once again, an ethical violation and you have to have boundaries and communication around it at least from my standpoint Mm. yeah Mm. i don't know if i'd ever do a cuddle therapist i don't even like cuddling i i believe in the power of touch and human touch Mm -hmm. love me some massage i'm like you know i'm into yoga i even love chakra like i love a lot of this kind of stuff but it's when it creeps into like psychotherapy or it like feels like it's into psychotherapy that i'm like wait a second but when it's something completely separate i'm like yeah if you're into that and you sign up for it you know what you're signing up for then i'm like cool Mm. but it's so funny it just depends on how it's being presented that i have a very different reaction Yeah. I think, I think of it from a cultural standpoint too, because there are some clients who are really big into like praying and really big into like physical touch and handshakes and hugs. I mean, it just really depends. And I think it's really important to, even as therapists, like let our clients know our own comfort, Mm -hmm. you know, because we may not be the therapist for everybody if they want to have handshakes or hugs every single time, you know, and then I always think about what is, what does this mean? Like, you know, the psychologist in me, I'm like, what does this mean? Um, So it depends. (laughs) Okay. Lily from unknown. We don't know where Lily is. She's out in the universe. Um, So Lily says, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Lily, is it a red flag to feel like my therapist is considering a diagnosis that from my understanding does not fit me at all? Mm. Oh, this is such a good question. (laughs) I've what do y'all think? Justin, I'm what do you think? I'm so interested in the details behind that. I know. Like, yeah, I know, I know. I, I, Lily, we want to ask you like five follow-up questions here of like, how do you know they're considering this diagnosis? Did, did they – because to me, it should be a conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, And I, I'm also wondering like under what context was this brought up? Like sometimes yeah. clients will ask me of like, you know, like – do you have a working diagnosis? What's the diagnosis? And I'll have an ongoing discussion. I'll talk about things like, you know, here are some things that I, here's why I think some things fit for you. I'm not sure about this. You know, maybe, you know, I have some more questions to ask about this or that, or time needs to kind of pass for me to kind of know for sure as I get to know you more. And here are the things that maybe when I know of like, based on all the criteria, the history and who I know, I'm confident, but like, it should be a conversation. Like if you really feel like it doesn't fit you, I'm like, I'm so interested in how this all went down. Yeah. Like have you expressed concerns to your therapist that you feel like it doesn't align with you? Um, so yeah, definitely tons of, of questions trying to figure out like what – where is that coming from? Totally. Yeah. I think of a therapist is giving like a rationale – and they have like solid 
evidence or rationale. Like it makes sense in terms of their clinical headspace, maybe. Mm-hmm. Cool. If it feels like it doesn't fit at all, then yeah. I mean, I, I think diagnoses and especially differential diagnoses are collaborative, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just to add, I would say to me, it would be more of a red flag if you have communicated that you don't think this diagnosis fits mm. and why, and then they keep pushing it or bringing it mm. up or maybe not explaining why mm. they think it is and just say like, well, you have X diagnosis and don't provide an explanation. Yeah. Mm. That I mean, I've had clients where- red flag. Yeah. I've had clients where we do like, we do like some testing and we have a clinical interview and we have assessments and all that stuff. And it's a diagnosis that they're not excited about. Mm. They're not like, they're like, oh, fuck, I, don't, I wish it wasn't that. And I'm like, same, you know, this is, this is what it's showing, you know? But I always think about like diagnoses, dep- it depends on what you're looking for. It depends on the purpose. And I think it does help guide treatment. But sometimes you get the diagnosis that we're just like not jazzed about. And that's mm-hmm. one thing. Mm. But if you feel like it doesn't really fit, then it's, I mean, Lily, that's just something to talk with your therapist about. That's really tough. But good question. Okay. Last one. Ready? Anonymous from Toronto. Don't know who she is. How long should you give it before deciding if a therapist is quote unquote good or bad? Like when first starting off? Mm. That's a good question. I think sometimes you can know right away. Like sometimes you can. Like I I think I shared this before. Like I got a therapist and 40 minutes in, he was like, okay, like let's schedule an accident. I'm like, no, no, I'm good. That's fine. I need someone else. Thank you. Like this isn't going to work. Um, But I also think sometimes like you kind of tell by like the third, fourth, fifth session if you're not feeling like like there's a vibe. Mm. Like you might not have trust, but you're going to kind of feel like, okay, like I think I can – I think I can roll with this. I think I can fuck around and find out. Yeah. Like, I just think I agree with you because I was even thinking that, like arguing against myself, and I'm glad you said it first. But I will say I think first sessions are the hardest to determine. Mm -hmm. It's not to say you could never have a first session like you knew, like you – and I validate that you knew. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot – First sessions usually feel like they might be structured different. It might be a biopsychosocial. Mm-hmm. I think it's hard to know off one session generally. I'm more of like a two to three sessions. Mm-hmm. I I think yeah. there should, you should really have specifics of why you wouldn't go a second time yes. in my book. Like you'd be like, they, they said yeah. this, they ignored that. I felt unseen, unheard. Like there should be a good list of reasons. You're like, I am not going back for a mm-hmm. second session. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, because I because I think like when I when I think about my my current therapist, I think like our first session was kind of weird, mm. but good. Like I, I knew I knew I knew we we I knew we could fuck with each. I I knew it was good. Like I was like cool. Like I, she sees me, I see her. Cool, but. She challenges me in a way that no other therapist has, and I hate and love that about her, right? But I didn't realize that until session three or four. In the beginning, if I would have just based it on the first session, I probably would have been out, honestly, Mm. because I would have been like, this is so uncomfortable to the point where like, I don't know if I could go forward, but I'm glad that I did. But I mean, I think the key was like, is she going to have the same sense of humor? Is she going to 
laugh at my dark jokes? Is she going to start writing vigorously if I say like some dark humor? Like, like literally things like that. But mm-hmm. I, I learned that she was cool. Um, so Justin, to your point. And then KBI, I think you do have a vibe of someone mm-hmm. is cool or not, you know? So I think going with that too is helpful. Jess, anything to add? No, I think the only thing is for me thinking of, is this person good or bad for me and my specific needs? Mm -hmm. Like for example, and I know I gave this, if you are seeking a therapist for, you know, OCD, but the therapist you go to has no training in that, that would probably be a bad fit for you. They're not a bad therapist. But Mm -hmm. you might know after the first session, like, oh, no, this is not good. Or green flag would be like, hey, I don't treat OCD. Let me refer you to somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I I agree with what Justin said. Give it a couple sessions to kind of feel out if the person is a good fit for you. And then I would argue that you could be with a therapist for months and there could be a rupture Mm -hmm. in the relationship later on that maybe wasn't there earlier, but definitely give it a couple of sessions unless there is a clear bad quote unquote thing the first session. Yeah. You're allowed to leave it, leave it anytime unless it's mm-hmm. court ordered treatment. You know, there's well, no But even in court ordered, <laughs> you know? but even in court ordered, they can leave. I That's what I always tell yeah, all my court ordered probation right. clients. I always tell them, I'm not yeah. the one making you be here. Mm-hmm. You can leave. I'm not True. going to give you consequences. You might face consequences from other entities, but I'm not going to give you consequences. And so, like I, because I always remind my clients, like at the end of the day, they have choices. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's true, true. true. That's true. Just take us home. We're going home, guys. Take us so home. So thank you, <laughs> thank you so much for joining for today's episode, and we hope you learned some potential red and green flags to look for when finding a therapist or maybe with your current therapist. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe. We could not do this podcast without you, so thank you all for showing up every week and participating with us. As always, every week we leave you with a reflection question. So this week's reflection question is, what has been a red flag or a green flag therapist experience that you have had? So so head over to our Instagram and possibly Twitter if K10 puts it up and share your response on our post. And we will see you next week in group therapy. I'm from Ohio. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Got it in. Bye. You got it. You got it in like halfway before. Uh, No, I didn't. Yeah, when the girl was from Ohio answering the question. Let him him have. I didn't say my being from Ohio.